Father, we ask that you open our ears as Pastor Gary preaches to us to hear your word, your divine word, which is the truth. As he will talk about wisdom in Ecclesiastes, there is no other place to find wisdom, Lord, than in your word. As we have just heard and read how Paul had gone about preaching your word, because it is truth, Lord, and that is what you used him to do. We pray, Father, as Jason had given Paul and Silas a place to stay, we pray also, Lord, that there are others in our own lives so that we may be used to preach your word and they may come to us and hear not our words, but rather yours, Lord, for again, yours are truth, yours are wisdom. Now, Lord, we pray for Pastor Gary that his tongue be used and our ears be opened so we may hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 8. To whom else shall we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. This book is a book of eternal life because it has to do with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 1. We're only going to read up to verse 6 though today. As it begins like this in verse 1. Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. I'm going to alter the wording a little bit here for the proper impact that I would like to communicate. In the following verses, verse 2. Obey Jesus' command. I say because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave Jesus' presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause. For Jesus will do whatever Jesus pleases. Since Jesus' word is supreme... Who can say to Jesus, what are you doing? Whoever obeys Jesus' command will come to no harm. And the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have something to say to you. We have two things going on right here. We have wisdom and we have the king. It's not coincidental that the reference to wisdom is in the first verse, followed by the king. Where is wisdom really to be found? It's bound up in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you have the wisdom from the Lord, when you know him as your Lord and Savior, there's a change that comes about in your life. I remember the day the Lord saved me. I was with a group of other people, my former girlfriend, my wife now. And two friends of mine, we were gathered together in a, in a home. And the brother said, we're going to read Isaiah 53, verse 5. And when my eyes crossed those words, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Everything changed right there on the spot. And when my brother in Christ then was trying to show others this verse, and they were puzzled and didn't get it. And I'm saying, what's the problem? Don't you see it? Can't you see that Christ died as a substitute for you? They couldn't see that. Praise God, my eyes were opened. 
And praise God that your eyes have been opened. That you have seen the king. Uzziah, when he saw the king lifted up high and in glory. That's who we want to lift up to you this morning. Now, verse 1 says, who is like the wise? The wise people of the earth are God's people. The Bible says a natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The Bible says the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. But who is the wise man? The person who has a true living relationship with Jesus Christ. We are the meshkel, and that's the Hebrew word, to describe those that are the wise. We are the wise men, the wise women, the wise boys, the wise girls, all who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It says, who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom. Those of us who are saved, who can honestly and earnestly say, Jesus is my king. He's the king of my life. A person's wisdom does what? It brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Interesting how that coming to know Christ changes everything. It even changes our countenance. Now, it's not the smiley face image that we see everywhere all the time. That's not the idea. It says about Stephen when he was giving his presentation before the Sanhedrin. It says, and his face did shine like an angel's. He had the appearance of an angel in his countenance. I have to ask the question, what's an angel's face looks like? What does that look like? Somehow... Luke, the author, is saying that Stephen's face had a face like an angel's. Well, those of us who know Christ, who defend Christ, who represent Christ, who live for Christ, we too should have faces that are changed from having a hard appearance. Now, when you think of a person's face glowing or changed, we can't help but think of 2 Corinthians 3. I'm going to read this to you because I think it's so relative to the portion that we're talking about. This is verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 3. You don't have to turn to it, but listen up. If the ministry that brought death, talking about when the law was given on Mount Sinai, which was engraven on letters of stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now with a surpassing glory. Let me pause for a minute here. Remember Moses had first received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai that God had... Uh, taken out of the mount. He provided them with the tablets of stone. They were written. Remember, Moses comes down because the first commandment is being violated. He breaks the Ten Commandments. He has to go back to Sinai. He has to get a second edition, identical to the first, but he, Moses himself, had to provide the stones. It says that when he came down from the mount the second time, that it says that his face shined so much that the people could not look on him. Because he had been in the presence of the Lord, he had to veil his face. 
Then when he went in, he would take the veil off, and again when he would come out, his face would be shined, and it had to be covered with a veil. That's what Paul is using as the illustration. And this was what was given on Mount Sinai, which is described as a glorious ministry. But the ministry that Paul, who's contrasting himself with Moses, that he gets, and what we get when we get into the presence of the Lord, when we come to know Christ, it also is a glory that surpasses the glory that was displayed on even Moses' countenance. Verse 11 says, and it was transitory. If it was transitory, rather, it came with glory. How much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, seeing the the, the truth of the the law, which was in the process of passing away, wasn't going to be enduring forever. It was temporary. Verse 14 says... But their minds were made dull. For to this day, I think we can say to this day now even, the Jews in general, their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Remember in Luke 24 when Jesus is risen from the dead, he meets with his Apostles, He says, and beginning at Moses in the scriptures, he opened unto them the things concerning himself. And it says that the Lord opened the eyes of them that they would understand what was being read and spoken. Praise God if you have an understanding. That revelation of comprehension comes from the Lord Almighty who gave that to you and I. Verse 16, but whenever anyone, I love this, whenever anyone, this, this shows me the, the broadness of the gospel and the generality of its presentation. Whoever turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, verse 18, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now that's the end of chapter 3. But chapter 4 goes like this. I'm going to skip down to verse 3. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in unto them. That's what's happened to us. This is a wonderful description of conversion. It's not just, oh, I know I'm on my way to heaven. I know my sins are forgiven. We do that. But there is a moral, internal transformation that takes place in the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit of God when someone comes to know Jesus as their Savior. Can you say amen to that? I hope you can. Stephen's face shined. How do we shine in this world? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he tells us, you are the light of the world. We're his substitute. We're his representative. You are little Jesuses, if you will, in this world, representing him to others around you. I've said this before, and it's not my own, but we know that there are 66 books of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, 
But on the other hand, there are 67 books. And who is or what is that 67th book? It's you. And you, and you, and you, all of us here, we are the 67th book of the Bible. Why? Because Paul says you are the epistle of Christ, known and read of all men. People are reading us. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance. Well, there should be something about our outward appearance, not that you need a tie and a coat and all of that. It's not the, it's not the gloriousness of your dress coating. It's got to do with the heart that usually and most often is displayed in the face. The face is sort of the index of what goes on internally. When I was in Trinidad a number of years ago, uh, the brother that picked me up from the airport, a pastor, he, during the course of the week I stayed with, he says, look around, he says, you can pick out the Muslims in this country. Look at their faces. You'll see they're very stern, very, very... Uh, Focus very like just no joy in the countenance. And he was right. I, I happened to notice that as he pointed that out. Well, people do look at us and they judge us by outward appearance. There is a, um, a bit, an employee one time had an idea uh, to try to boost his business and for the employers, uh, for the employees to have a better uh, representation on the, the retail floor. So when, when the workers would come in and, and get dressed in the locker room or wherever they would go and they would put on the, the outfit they had to and they had to punch the clock, right next to the clock, that's before they stepped into the, the business floor, they had to see a mirror in front of them. And on top of the mirror it said, this is how you look when people see you. And that had an impression on every one of those workers. That was required by the owner of the company, that he wanted every one of them to look at themselves in the mirror before they went through the doors to the other side and had to meet the people in the public. Well, praise the Lord, we have met the Lord in secret. And he has changed our lives internally. And we are now the ones that are displaying the love of Christ in us. When uh, my wife, my former girlfriend, had called me and told me that she had been saved it was on a Wednesday. I was amazed. I said, that has to be a miracle. Because I told her the night before, we can't go out until you're born again. She calls me the next day and says, I'm born again. Christ changed my life. I seen the Lord. I seen him dying for me upon the cross. So I could not resist it. I said, I have to come and see you. I told it would be at the end of the week, but I couldn't wait hours. I had to go over that night to her parents' house and see what was going on. Well, I'll make a long story short because I know a lot of you have heard the story already. But when I went in, finally, she, I ended up seeing her. She couldn't see me because she was sitting on her bed with her clothes on, and she was had the Bible. <laughs> she had the Bible. You, you know the other part of the story. So she had the Bible on her lap. And her face was glowing. I could tell right there, without anything else, just by her countenance, that something had taken place that had to be miraculous. It is something that we cannot contain. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart is changed so that we can have an appearance. 
And then Jesus, as it goes on to say, but the king's commandment. Now I know obviously the author here is probably not primarily talking about Christ. Primarily, probably not. Although Christ is the king of kings and lord of lords, we behold his beauty, we know him to be the king, we know that he is found in all of scripture, so I don't think it's inappropriate, and commentators would agree with this, that this is a subtle reference to the true king to whom we receive the commandments. As it goes, as it says, obey Jesus' command. Um, uh, hurry to leave, to not leave the king's presence, Jesus' presence. Do not stand up for bad cause, for Jesus will do whatever he pleases. Jesus' word is supreme. Who can say to Jesus, what are you doing? I love that. Jesus' words are supreme. What do they mean to you? Now, I know we have red letter editions, which have Jesus' words, and I love that. But at the same time, I don't want anybody to get the impression that his words are not equaled by other words of scripture. I don't think that's the intention. Maybe the editors meant it that way. But certainly the scriptures do not elevate certain words of the Bible above other words of the Bible. But we must say there is something special about the words of Christ that would draw our attention to it in a very special way. Can you imagine what it would have been like to walk into the uh, into the synagogue, synagogue that day, and Jesus opens up the book of Isaiah, unrolls the scroll, and says, this, reading Isaiah 61, where it says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and then he closes the scroll, and it says, every eye was upon him, when Jesus said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Wow. Talking about a shocker. He's saying, this book is written about me. The Spirit is upon me. Therefore, it created a, a tremendous sense of awe in the audience. It was like unbelievable to them that they could possibly be in the presence of the one that they had been waiting for for thousands of years who finally is on the scene and saying, It is I. It's written about me and I'm the one standing in your very presence. Jesus should have a great and deep impression upon us and we should be ones who are displaying the life of the king in our lives personally. We were reading in Acts chapter 17 where the authorities there in Thessalonica were disturbed about the fact that they were preaching about another king. As far as they were concerned politically, there was no other king. I don't know if you can read this right here. It's not so clear on this picture. But this is actually a flag that was hung in a story of Queens right down the street from where my son was. And he shot it over to me a few weeks ago. And what it says here is that no matter who is president, what does it say after that? Jesus, Jesus is king. No matter who is president, Jesus is king. Because he's the king of presidents. He's the king of kings. He's the one to whom we owe our allegiance, our authority. Our brother was talking about an a, a early brother in the faith who died for the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he knew Jesus was king. There was no ecclesiastical authority who could possibly trump the words and his fidelity to Jesus Christ. Those verses and those thoughts really are challenging to us. For us to ask ourselves, what does Jesus mean to me? We often think of him as our Savior. 
We think of him as our Lord. Awesome words. Absolutely. The Christ, the Son of God. But think of Jesus as king. Not just king, but as your king. In that hymn it goes, Jesus, king of my life, I crown thee now. Lead me to Calvary. Jesus, my king, I crown thee now. We should be crowning the Lord every day as often as we can and recognizing, Jesus, you are king. You are my Lord. You are the ruler of all the earth. Everybody and everything is subject to him. And what he allows, he allows. As it goes on to say, whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. I'm going to trust him no matter what. Jesus says, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, Matthew 10, 28. That's who we should fear. There is no king but Jesus. That's what they, the report that was given. And they're turning the world upside down. Why? Because they're saying Jesus is king. Remember when Pontius Pilate put Jesus before the Jewish audience as to what am I going to do with this man? I find no fault with him. My wife had a dream, said that he's a righteous man. I've washed my hands clean. I, I don't know. What do you say what we do with him? Here is your king. What do they say? We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Our motto should be we have no Caesar king, but we have Jesus as king. He's my king and not Caesar. Now, I'm not trying to cause a rebellion against government. That's not my point. My point is that we need to see the superiority of Christ above all. The Bible says that God has given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The wisdom that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ is such. It says, whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and procedure to every matter. Where are we drawing our wisdom from? Colossians 2.3 says, in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that giveth liberally to all men and appraiseth not, and it shall be given him. The wisdom that comes from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, and so on. That wisdom comes from the Lord. The wisdom of the world is sensual. It's devilish. It's disruptive. It's contentious. It's jealousy, rage, etc. But the wisdom that comes from above, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have eyes like Stephen and fix them on the king of glory and see him seated there. It's so easy for us to drop our eye levels and look at things of the world and they look dismal. And it looks like at times the church is being overthrown. That's where we need to draw from the word of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I can't stand on my own. I need that armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of, of faith, and so on. All of those pieces of armor that are the spiritual warfare that God provides us with that equipment to be able to 
carry on. The words, the king's word is supreme. Listen to what F.B. Meyer says about the king's word. The king's word has power. When our king speaks, it is done. He spoke in creation, and power went with his word to call all things out of nothing. He spoke in the earthly in his earthly ministry, and power accompanied every word. In giving eyes to the blind and light to the dead, he spoke in the paralyzed had power to walk. He spoke in the winds dropped, with the tumultuous waves were hushed to rest. He spoke, and men knew their sins were forgiven. To be remembered against them no more forever. He spoke and the dying thief passed into paradise. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It will not return unto me void. The power of the supreme words of the king is what we must acknowledge and recognize. David says, by the words of thy lips I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Maya goes on to say... Whatever he bids you to do by his word, he is sure that he will enable you to do it. You and I both feel so weak in and of ourselves, and that's appropriate. We do. I feel like the battle's too strong for me. I can't handle it. I'm way too weak to be able to endure that, take the punishment, be strong enough to stand. But the Bible says God is able to make you stand. Romans 14, verse 4. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He works in us to will and to work of His good pleasure. That is, He never directs us in any path of obedience or service without furnishing us a sufficient supply of grace. Does He bid you renounce some evil habits? Of course He does. The power to renounce it awaits you. Claim it. Does he bid you walk on the water? Remember that? Peter said when he saw Jesus on the water, he says, Lord, and I think he was hesitant, is it really you? Lord, if it is you, bid me come unto you. Now, praise God for Peter's conviction and courage. Lord, if it's you, bid me, invite me to come. To what? Come and walk on the water with Christ? Is he capable of booing you up over the tumultuous waves and the winds? And the Lord says, come on. Jump out of the boat. Try me. Prove me. And you'll see. And that's what Peter did. We are amazed that Jesus walked on water. But in another sense, we should be more amazed that Peter walked on water. You don't hear that too often. Peter walking on water. You might say, I could never walk on water, and I'm not advocating the miraculous here. I'm just trying to use this as an example. If Peter could trust the Lord's words, I have said many times, when I've been at bedsides of dying people and and, and there's uncertainty with them, them, where they're going, I read them the story about the, the thief on the cross who said, remember me to the Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus looked at him and said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Do you think that that thief had any doubt where he would go when he died? If you have any doubt of where you're going, please look to Christ and listen for that word and see if he says to you, today, someday, you will be with me in paradise. Would the thief have doubted that? Definitely not. 
I'm sure he went with confidence out of this world and took bowed his head in his last breath saying, I'm glory bound. I'm going to be with Jesus because all the promises of God in Christ are yea and in him amen to the glory of God. There's assurance. The world doesn't have this kind of assurance. It's always shifting sand. It's going from one thing to another to another. And you never know with them where it's going to go. Because the devil is the god of this world. He blinds the minds of them which believe not. So they believe things that they're blinded about understanding. And they follow their lives through this wicked world. What hope we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. The power by which to walk only waits for you to claim it. Does he bid you perform perform irksome duties? There is such transforming power issuing from him as to make duty a delight. Making duty a delight. If Christianity is hard for you, then something's wrong with your relationship with Jesus. That makes a difference. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I make you, and you shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is light. It shouldn't be grievous to us to want to obey the commandments of the Lord and to keep them. They actually harmonize perfectly and beautifully with the Holy Spirit of God who has been given to us. So the Spirit within us and the Word of God that's given from outside of us are actually in perfect parallel with one another. Now granted, we still have the flesh. I still have that residue of sin in me that that has a spirit of rebellion that I've got to judge. And I have to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If only you avail yourself of it, whenever you are called to stand up to speak the word of your king, be sure to seek and obtain the power. That shall prove your best Credential. Take the power of the king with you. It is his signet ring by which men will convince will be convinced that you have been entrusted with his word. Drawing wisdom from the king. Who is wise? We're the wise men that have come to find the Lord Jesus. Not merely in the in the, uh, in the uh, manger, but as we were singing, our brother was leading that song, when I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Lord of glory died, my riches gained I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. Wow. When we look at Calvary and we say, he died for me. I want to bow my knee and say, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. You are willing to take my sins and your body on the tree and suffer the penalty in full so that I can be glory bound, so that I can live for you. And even if necessary, die for you as our brother Josiah was bringing before us. How much do we love the Lord? How much wisdom are we gaining from the King of kings and Lord of lords? Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance and right after that obeys the king. Let's close. Our brother Wilfred.
Close it up, brother, in prayer. Stand up like dear brother Wilfred. He's coming on a Jamaica mission trip with us. The precious brother in the Lord. I'm so glad to know him. And brother Wilfred, close us in prayer.